You want to be hardcore, you want to be extreme. Well, if you're like the Sandman, then you're listening to the podcast Drunk Wrestling History, dudes. And please be drunk when you hear it. We've got Bush. Fuck, do you like to fuck? It's just money shots, uh, chairs all over there. Those guys with bang bus think they're a good deal. Dude. My dick is small. What's up, Drunk Marks and Drunk Marquettes, and welcome to Drunk Wrestling History. Adam isn't here, this is Eddie, and I intend to get properly fucked up if no one disagrees. And this is Scott. For those about to drink, we salute you. So you've got your own intro music now. I love it. And I just got beer all over my fucking microphone. I knew you'd love it. Starting off with a rousing, rousing (laughs) bang. So hey, uh, hey, cheers. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, Adam's not here. That's why <laughs> yeah. I'm doing the intro. So here's no man di- gets left behind except for Adam. <laughs> except for Adam. Except for Adam. Um, I don't think I mentioned this when we did our when we first got back together and did our state of the drunks address. But part of one of the situations we've been having problems with is getting started late. Yeah, and, and then um, running really fucking late. And then running late. We'd be recording till like 9, 30, 10 o'clock and shit, and neither of us, you and I, don't want to do that. No, um, we're old-ass men, dog. Like, come on. Yeah, exactly. Adam's younger than us, so I think he has to get up like as early as you. I get up at 5. I think Adam gets up probably around the same time as you, but he's got, you know, you're 15 years older than he is. Right. I get up at like quarter to 7. That's fucking agony. Yeah, I get up a quarter after 5. Fuck that. So, yeah, so it was like, sometimes it was just like, fuck, dude, this sucks. We're going too late. So we told Adam that it's going to be just a hard for us six o'clock. We're starting at six o'clock. If he's stuck in traffic, sorry, but it is what it is. So that's where we're at right now. Yeah. The show um, must go on. Yeah. So he'll be back with his next episode, which we're recording right after this one. And, uh, yeah, and if he's not, we'll fucking start without him. Exactly. <laughs> we'll start without him again. <laughs> yeah. So he'll come in when he gets there. Oh, that's to be funny, dude. Uh, Cause he should be home. I don't know. Well, he's it's six fourteen. He said he'd be home around six 30. So we'll see what time he texts me and says he's ready. Fuck. So, we're like that speeding van pulling away from him. He's like running after us, like trying to catch <laughs> up, like jump on if you can, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why Adam's not here. And this is probably going to happen t- from time to time. Like from time to time, I probably mean every other episode. Well, yeah. And to be fair too, like this episode, what we're about to talk about, Adam, most likely, I mean, outside of some of the pay-per-views that we reviewed, he probably wouldn't have a lot to add to it anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those, it's not a, I mean, we love Adam, don't get us wrong, but it's one of those, it's it's not necessarily his wheelhouse. So this is really one that's, it's tailor-made for you and I to really sit and discuss. Yeah, if he's got to miss a show, this is the one. Totally, yes, absolutely. Um, I have a message from a listener, because I still have the message thing out there. Should I play that now, since this is a shorter episode, or should I wait for the next episode when Adam's here? Uh, have you listened to it yet? No, I haven't listened to it. I have no idea what it is. Then we should I, wait for Adam. Watch okay, it be I, like, I love Adam. He's the best part of the show. And like, he's not here to fucking listen to it. It's like totally putting him over. And if that happens, that we're going to fucking edit it out anyway. So. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't want anyone thinking he's better than he is. No. He's a clear <laughs> third on the show. We need him to stay there. Come on. Yeah. Especially him. Uh, <laughs> I guess you don't want him getting a big head. Right. <laughs> That's already huge. <laughs> so anyway, this week we are talking about the late, great Terry Funk. And we're, shit, by the time you hear this, three months late with this episode? Yeah, about three months. He passed away August August 23rd, I believe. August 23rd. Yeah, the yeah. day before Bray. And... um. Which was kind of a Michael Jackson Farrah Fawcett situation. Like I kind of felt uh, bad for him. Yeah, because then was it was just like say that dude exactly. Like he got trampled. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't remember, Farrah Fawcett died the same day Michael Jackson did. She beat him by like five hours, and then everybody immediately forgot that Farrah Fawcett had died when Michael died. 
Yeah, I think so, you could tell somebody today, hey, Farrah Fawcett died. And they'd be like, oh my God, no way, seriously? Because literally yeah. everybody fucking forgot she died. Yeah, so Terry, not that anyone forgot Terry died, but it was sort of, this was the big story in wrestling. Fuck, Terry Funk died. And then boom, the next day, a guy, a guy in his 30s, you know, who's still active, dies. Yeah, so it it's was just fucking tragic all around, dude. Yeah, 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 exactly. Everything about it was tragic. So... We're late because uh, we're we're late because we took our break. So we did our uh, Bray episode, which you guys already heard. We almost combined them into two, and we were both we were like, "Nah, they both need their own episode." They both yeah, had such great careers. Yeah. So let's get into it. Um, Terry was born. He was born June thirtieth, and I didn't write down the year, but I want to say it was nineteen forty-four. As Adam would say, in the year of our Lord. In the year of our Lord, 19... I think it was 1944, and I can't believe I didn't write down the goddamn year. But he was it born happens. in Indiana, which I didn't realize until I started researching him. I thought he was born in Texas. I would have sworn up and down. Like, I would have bet my house the dude was born in Texas. Yeah, I grew up in Texas, but he wasn't born there. Um, he he moved there young because his dad started wrestling. Um, the he, Amarillo. The Amarillo territory was run by a guy called Dory Denton. And... Um, he went there to work for him and Dory had been in the Navy during World War II. So when he gets out, how you go from being in the Navy to going into wrestling, you know, is this crazy? Like you think you come out and get a job in a factory like everybody else did back then. Yeah. Weird nah, transition. He's, yeah. He's like, no, nah, I'm going to move to Texas and fucking wrestle. <laughs> um, so he worked Thank for God wrestling. He made that decision. Yeah. No shit. Right. Yeah. He yeah. could have just gone and worked in a fucking factory in Indiana and like the course of wrestling history would have been different completely changed yep yeah um so he worked for western state sports was the name of the promotion and um he was there for a while and then a guy called uh doc sarpolis bought it and he offered uh to let Dory buy into it and that was kind of you know the rest is history type of thing that's when he got into promoting and both of his sons dory jr and terry came up in wrestling and by 1965, so this would he'd be 21. He was a kid. Um, well, Terry went to West Texas A&M. He played football and wrestled there. And, uh, and maybe I'm wrong. No, he couldn't have been born before 1944. Damn it. I should have written that. This is why we need Adam. He's our fact checker. Well, hey, it just so happens I have his wiki up here. Okay. When was, was going to be? Uh, he was born on. <clears throat> uh, you had it right. He was born on June 30th, 1944. Okay, yeah. So he so his first match was 1965. So he had turned 21 in June. This was December. So he just turned 21 a couple months before. And I mean, it makes sense. He grew up in wrestling. You know, he was around wrestling since he was a kid. Um, you know, at this point, it had been 20-ish years. He'd been around wrestling. So it makes sense to get started that young. Totally, yeah. And he was like every other rookie. You know, he started off in mid-card, you know, undercard and mid-card matches. He wasn't anything special. But it wasn't long. By the end of the 60s, he and Dory were making big money. They were the top stars in the territory. And okay, their dad owned the territory. But when you look at the careers they both ended up having, they weren't top stars just because their dad ran the territory. Exactly. It wasn't a game of favoritism. Like, yeah, they these had were guys. On. They were yeah, good. They, it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't a Greg Gagne situation. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, dude, I know how you got this job. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Yeah, it wasn't like that. Um, and that was a big territory. Uh, so he eventually ended up taking it over when his dad retired. And they ran, uh, Dor Terry and Dory Jr. ran the territory. And it was a big, geographically big territory. It went from El Paso up to Colorado Springs and all the way out west to Albuquerque. Oh, so wow. They had a, okay. Yeah, and they had a bunch of cities in there. And it was a lucrative territory. And um, it was one of those territories where everybody at some point came through there. You know, anybody, any wrestler you've ever heard of from the 60s and 70s, at some point went to Amarillo. And you'd see later in, later in Terry's career, he became known for being hard, you know, for hardcore wrestling. But he kind of came by it naturally because they would have a lot of hardcore shit. I mean, all the territories did back then, especially the Southern territories, you know, like um, if you grew up watching wrestling in the 80s, and early mid nineties blood, especially WWE blood was like a rarity. You know, you never saw blood back yeah, in the territory it, days, especially in the South, you'd see it all the time. And it, it kind of loses its flavor though, so to speak. Like if you do it too much, eh, <laughs> but when it's done occasionally, it has more impact. My opinion. Uh, I, yeah, I completely agree. Like if you see someone on, uh, on raw bleed, 
uh, next Monday, you're going to be like, oh, shit, I'm going to be texting you about it. Dude, dude, this guy was fucking bleeding all over the place. Right. But, um, right. Yeah. But I guess when it's happening too, like it was still real. So they see people bleed and you're like, oh, oh man, yeah, I'm going to go all the time. Like, so I guess back then maybe it was, it was a bigger deal. Well, and I think parts of it too were like, you got hit in the face with a chair. You should be bleeding. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Or and how many of those were blade jobs that actually are like, fuck, <laughs> I just got hit in the head with a chair. I'm actually bleeding. Right, right. Yeah, like, I mean, it would be like, yeah, that was part of keeping it real. Like, things that they would do to each other should make you bleed. Right, right. So, you know, like, you can't stand, I've heard Jim Ross say a million times, like, you can't stand on the second rope with a guy in the corner and punch him in the face ten times and not have him bleed. So yeah. if you're not going to have yeah. blood, don't do that spot. That kind right. of thing. Right. So he kind of came by that, you know, that that was, he grew up in that kind of, the chic came through there and did his matches, you know, all that shit. So, um... After not long, like in the early, well, it would have been, man, I took bad notes. <laughs> I think it was, uh, well, you have the wiki page in front of you. He ended up going to work for Eddie Graham in Florida, and he became NWA champ pretty quickly by beating Jack Briscoe. Was that 69 or was that after? Hold on. Scrolling back. <clears throat> Let me get there. Champ I did all these work, works. So we're not in. Uh, I did these notes at work. <laughs> 75 75 okay yeah i couldn't remember if it was 69 69 year after i was born championship oh lord yeah right oh my god yeah that's crazy so he was champ while you were alive yeah yeah wow yep one year after <laughs> yeah so okay so i heard terry tell a story about how he became champion i thought was really interesting he told i listened to uh, when Stone Cold used to do his podcast, my favorite shows of his were he was where he would interview the old school wrestlers. And probably the best interview he ever did was with Terry. And I remembered that, you know, and I was like, the day Terry died, I went back and listened to that because I thought it was such a great interview. And he told the story about how he became champion. So this is the in the NWA days. And for anyone who doesn't know, and at some point I really want to do an episode about the NWA in general. Remember when I talked about doing that in August because it was the 75th anniversary? Yeah. Yeah, well, we're, well, maybe we'll do the 76th anniversary because it didn't happen this year. But I <laughs> yeah. really want to do it. a long ass episode, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, like a six yeah. parter. Yeah. We'll have to figure out a way to rein that in, you know. Yeah. But um, right. just kind of the, the NWA to me, it's just the way it was set up and the characters involved are just fascinating. Um, so the, what it was was they used to have a championship committee who would actually get together. They'd meet up wherever, like sometimes it'd be in like Cancun and shit. And all the um, promoters, you know, all the NWA members would get together and they'd vote on who was going to be champion, like when it was time to change it. And it was between Harley Race and Terry Funk. So I mentioned earlier, Terry had gone to uh, West Texas A&M or whatever the right. school's called. And Dory got in the ear of whoever, you know, whoever was voting and said Terry would be a good representation for the company because he has a college education <laughs> and that worked and they voted for him because this is back in the day when the nwa was like that like that was big with the nwa they wanted to be seen as legitimate athletes and upstanding members of the community a lot of the promoters would like run charities and do charity events and shit like that uh because wrestling had had a bad reputation and they wanted to get away from that of course this is close to 30 years into this is about 25 years into nwa's existence at this point but that was the mentality then. Like, oh yeah, that's going to look good to have a guy like that, you know, who went to yeah. college. Now you need to have a fucking degree to hold a title in the NWA. Yeah, exactly. So that was the way the NWA was then. Dr. Funk. Yeah. yeah. And the NWA <laughs> now is doing, uh, having um, James Mitchell do cocaine on TV <laughs> and lose a TV deal. Yeah. He's Which Dr. Might... Cocaine. <laughs> yeah, he's a yeah. doctorate in cocaine. Yeah, a doctor in losing a TV deal. Yeah, it's got to be the funniest fucking, the funniest fuck up I've ever heard of. Dude, right? How far I mean, we've fallen. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. And if you think about that, it's just that dumb, dumb spot that was never going to draw any money or get anybody to watch the show. How much money did that just cost him? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> fucking dorks. You know who never did that? Vince. Who? Yeah, Vince. <laughs> Shit, Tony Khan's never even done coke on TV. <laughs> Not yet. Not <laughs> yet. Some time, he's, dude. he's done it right before. He's like, wait, NWA's doing coke? 
<laughs> I gotta we got, get, in, gotta on get in on that. Let's merge. <laughs> <laughs> um. So anyway, Harley was pissed, and he never talked to Dory again after that. Holy shit! Yeah, he held a grudge against him till Dory died. I guess I think Dory. I forget which one of them died first. But uh, <laughs> holy shit, that's or crazy. is Dory dead? Dory's got to be dead, right? Oh fuck! Here we go. I don't remember. On. It's like Farrah Fawcett. You're not sure if he's dead. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, he held a gr- well. Harley held a grudge at least until he li- until he died. Okay, Dory Funk. Uh, still alive. Wait, wait. That's the wrong Dory Funk. There's two Dory Funks. Yeah, he da- Dory Funk Senior is not alive. Dory Funk Junior, his brother. Yeah, still alive. Okay, okay. Gosh, who would have guessed that? Like seeing them in the WWF in the mid '80s, who would have guessed that Terry would not have outlived Dory? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, Dory Dude. looked well. Dory was like uh, Rashki; like he looked old from the time he was like twenty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, he came uh, out with a bald spot, like full head of hair, but a bald spot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is how he was born. He looked old always. Yeah, that hair just never filled in. <laughs> it didn't. <laughs> so we have the title 14 months, which was long, but not exceptionally long. Like guys like Thez had held it for years. But I yeah. mean, it was well, it back was a good in the day, run. long title reigns were the norm. Yeah, but I mean, 14 months, that's a long time, especially compared yeah. to today, you know? Oh, dude, um, today's a lifetime. 14 months, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. And he defended against all, you know, everybody, of course, Dusty, uh, Briscoe, uh, Baba, because he would go to Japan all the time. Yeah. Uh, he he defended against Pat O'Connor in Australia, and um, he worked in Japan and uh, he worked in Singapore, which I've never I haven't heard of a lot of guys working in Singapore. I'm surprised to read that. Well, good thing he never defended the title in Rio de Janeiro because titles tended to change hands there a lot. That's true. He would have come home empty-handed, and nobody there would have been no video of it. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It would have just been the the stuff of legend. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, so a big part of what he did back then too was he went to Memphis and did Lawler. And that was another one of those places where matches where they had hardcore wrestling, you know. Um, I've heard it called like the place that invented hardcore. I don't know if that's true, but they were known for some wild shit in Memphis, and that's where they did the infamous uh empty arena match. And um that was uh like the finish of it was um Terry had a broken two by four and he was trying to put it in Terry's eye, trying to put it in Lawler's eye. Oh, and Lawler, fuck, like like uh like LOD or the Road Warriors with the spike and dusty. With the eye. spike and dusty, yeah. Yeah, and Lawler kicked it and it went into Terry's eye. And oh. that was that's when Terry was, you know, screaming my eye, my eye, you know. Um, so that was wild shit. And uh he drew money literally everywhere he went, you know. He was a bit I'm sure he was big in fucking Singapore. And he was huge in Japan. He was one of the biggest stars of all time in Japan. He was up there with like Brody, you know, Brody and Andre level. Um, and the interesting thing about him going to Japan is he would always shave off his facial hair because he was, he worked as a baby face for the most part. Oh, really? So he worked baby in Japan. Yeah. If you ever no see shit. video of him in Japan, he would have no facial hair. Got it. And, so facial hair makes what, you a heel. Yeah, it did. That was actually sort of the mentality back in the day that only a heel would have facial hair because it makes see, you the look, chicken shit heel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. You have, you have, you have the chicken <laughs> shit heel facial hair. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so you get into the 80s and he just moved around everywhere. Yeah, he bounced around a lot in the 80s. Yeah, and I don't know if he ever worked for Vince's dad. I can't imagine he didn't at some point. I don't actually know. Um, it wouldn't surprise me a match at MSG here and there. Right, just go up there for, yeah, exactly. Or like just a house show loop, whatever. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm sure he, I can almost guarantee he did, but I don't have that, you know, um, I don't know for a fact. He went to work for Vince and he wasn't there long. What was he there, six months or so? Seven months. So this was this would have been his 85 run? 85 to 86, yeah. Yeah, it was 85, 86. It wasn't long at all, dude, but he worked with like every fucking top guy, every, every top baby during that short run. Yeah, he was right in and out, which was actually weird for Vince at that point because this is when Vince, this is when it's WWF. You know what I mean? He showed up And he's after, signing guys up left and right. And he didn't sign him to like a long-term contract. No. Nope. You know, like he was mostly signing. I think even back then it was mostly three-year deals. Yeah. And um, you, you think know, that was, was related to his age maybe? Because no. by this point, he's like, you know, 40, 41, 42, somewhere in there. If you look at those dudes back then, though, a lot of those guys were that age, you know. So maybe um, he was just a rolling stone. He didn't want to commit to a long deal. He just said, I've, yeah, you know, I would imagine it was a six months to a year deal and let's call it good. 
Yeah, I would think it was. It might not have even been a deal. You know, it might have even been just a per date type thing or something like that. Yeah, I don't really know. But it was even back then that early on that was kind of out of the ordinary for Vince. Nobody came in for a few months unless they fucked up and got you know fired. Yeah, like yeah, which they didn't. uh, He left. So he left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a yeah. He there was no bad blood or anything. He just bounced. Mm -hmm. But when he was there, he was a he was a big shot. I mean, they put him right into a feud with Dog. And dog at this point would have been at least the number three baby face, right? Like if, uh, if you call if you call Snooka number two. Uh, uh, no, I would actually say dog, dog was the number two. Yeah, if not him, maybe Tito Santana because yeah, Tito, Tito was super hot in the territory at the time. Uh, but I would put Dog probably at number two, and they gave Terry the wins over Junkyard Dog. Mm-hmm. I guess you're right. Oh. I guess at this point, um, at this point, Snooka wasn't really wrestling much. He was just kind of around. Yeah, I don't know, you know if he I mean? had murdered yet. Um, but he, yeah, he was gone pretty much after one. I think this is post, I think this is post murder. Cause I think the murder was when they were still doing the TV tapings in Allentown. And I don't think they were doing the t- TV tapings in Allentown at this, because I think it was in Allentown where it happened. Okay. Or, yeah. I think Snooka had already peaked. Snooka was kind of, you're right. He'd peaked. Yeah. A few yeah. years prior to this. I mean, there were a couple years where he was the biggest star in the fucking country. You know? Oh dude. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I would say dog was number two. Um, okay, and and they gave Funk wins over. I mean, not clean, but he was a heel, so who cares? Yeah, and like you said, Tito might be number three, and they had so Terry and Dory wrestled Tito and Dog at WrestleMania two. Yep, which that's my favorite match from WrestleMania two. I think. Oh, really? <laughs> it was so cool and so out of the ordinary for WWE. I mean, they're outside, they're slamming each other onto tables, not through yeah, it was not to them. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. When I was a kid, I didn't really think much about it. And then years later, like maybe even like 10 or 15 years ago, I watched it and I was like, what the fuck, man? This match is crazy for the time, you know, for the time yeah. and the territory. It was yeah, fucking nuts. It was nuts. crazy. And this was my introduction to Terry Funk. Um, you know, I had just started watching wrestling close to like WrestleMania one. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was my first introduction. I didn't know who Terry Funk was when he showed up. I didn't know he came with, you know, NWA credentials and all that. I just knew him as a madman who was beating the junkyard dog and I fucking hated his guts. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. He, that, that meant he was doing his job because I fucking hated Terry Funk, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His, and you I, want- I had his LJN figure. That thing got beat to shit all the time. <laughs> it always, all lost. the time. Yeah. Always lost. And to make you hate him even more, he worked with Hogan a lot. Exactly. Yeah. I think so he was they battling have, all the top babies. Didn't they have a Saturday night's main event match? I believe they did. Yeah. Yeah. I think it might've it might been the first one. It might've been the first Saturday night's main event. Uh, I don't know if it was the first one. It was it, well, it would have been one of the first Hupple because he was gone by mid '86. Yeah, within like the first three, I think he had a match with Hogan. I think. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because we watched um, that one. We actually reviewed it. Was uh, JYD and Funk? That was Halloween. Okay, so that was a Halloween episode. It, it most likely would have been after that. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, yeah, it would have had to been. It would have had to been. Yeah. Right. So within okay. like the first three or four SNMEs, he was yeah. facing Hogan. Big deal. Yeah. Yeah, huge, big huge. deal. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, he's on national TV, and it was before you know. Back then, the main event was at like ten thirty. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's when people right. were still awake and watching TV. Yep, catch them before they fall asleep. Put that main event on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and then he was gone. Boom, gone. And then he shows up in WCW, and yeah. he'd been there. You know, this is when it was WCW. He'd been around there with Crockett before. Sure, but yeah. But like I said, he's always moving around. And this whole time, he's going back and forth to Japan. He worked in Japan from like 75 on. God, know, I bet the money there was so good for him. He, oh, it was huge. Yeah, it would have been yeah. huge because he was a huge fucking star. Yeah. And um, he was also booking guys. He was booking Americans in Japan. He was helping out Japan with their American bookings. So and he would have been getting a piece of that. He probably was getting a 10% booking fee for everybody he brought over there. Oh, yeah. You know, which was yeah. kind of standard uh, in the NWA days. So he would have gotten he so he could be on a show and get paid for half the matches. Yeah. So keep that relationship strong. Keep that money coming in. It's smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it worked. It worked both. You know, it worked out for him. It worked out for Japan. And it worked out for Definitely. all the guys who got introduced to Japan through him. Yep. That's right. I wonder uh, how many did guys like I wonder like Stan Hansen maybe Terry. Yeah. Gordy, he Doctor m- Death Steve Williams. Like you wonder how many guys he mm-hmm. opened the door for Brody. Brody. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. He was huge over there. Yeah. Yep. Um. So WCW, he's only there for like a year, just like everything else he does. It's he yep. had such an Short interesting run. career. He's kind of Brutus Beefcake with gimmicks. Like he's been in more territories than Brutus Beefcake had gimmicks. Yeah, he, he kind of moved around like Stan Hansen did a little bit too. 
Stan mm-hmm. Hansen tended to do that. Like he'd have short runs of places like AWA, WCW, like Funk did the same thing. Yeah. It was almost the way that people book themselves in the indies now. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was almost, right. Right. Except he'd be there longer. You know, it wouldn't be just a show every Saturday in a different place. It'd be, I'll yeah. be in this territory for six months, but you know, he moved around like, yeah, Brody was the same way. Brody was never any place long. Yeah. So with Funk, his run in WCW, that is what I most remember Terry Funk for. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> again, I started watching like around WrestleMania one, that run was impressive that he had as short as it was, but I, I don't know if it was my age or the way I was viewing wrestling in 89, 90, that turn on Ric Flair, Ric Flair hadn't been a baby face. I don't even know in how long since like what, 82, 83, maybe. And Terry Funk was the guy that did it. Terry Funk turned Ric Flair into a baby face and Flair was the biggest fucking heel the NWA slash WCW had going. And Terry Funk was the fucking guy that turned him baby face. And again, in WWF working with Hogan in WCW, turning Flair into a face, big fucking deal. Yeah. Massive deal. Right. Um, that's what I most remember him for is that turn after the title match between Steamboat and Flair. Funk asks him for a title shot. Flair says, no, you've been in Hollywood. And Funk beats the shit out of him. Pile drives him on a table outside there. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? This is insane. Like, Flair yeah. just won the fucking belt, dude. He's beating the shit out of him. Totally. It's, it's one of those angles they ran that is just ingrained and burned into my brain. And that, when I think of Terry Funk, it's that angle, that moment. And man, he played that role perfectly. Yeah, and it's one of those ones that I didn't even watch WCW ex- except if I was in a friend's house who had it because I didn't have cable, but I saw that probably yeah. several times because they replayed it so many times, you know? Yep. You could not you could watch it maybe once in two months and it, you're gonna see it because it was such a big angle. Oh, it was they, huge. Yeah, they were replaying it for months and months. Yeah. Yeah. And then he so obviously he feuds with him. And um then Flair at Clash of Champions. <laughs> this is like the craziest. I saw this too. This is one of the craziest things ever. Flair at Clash of the Champions uh, teamed up with Steam, Steam, Sting. And uh, I'm a little buzzed. And um, you know what, dude? I haven't <laughs> had a drink. Today's the 15th. I haven't drank since Halloween. Oh, shit. And, yeah. And I'm drinking an IPA. I'm almost through the can. This It's six, it's a 6.7% IPA. So uh, a couple couple weeks without a drink and uh, you're feeling minutes with an IPA. And I'm feeling good. Nice. I'm doing a hell or high watermelon, by the way. Oh, excellent. Yeah, I forgot to ask. That's yeah, way better than what I'm drinking. That's Adam's job, and he's not here, so see what happens. Yeah, exactly. Well, he'll, yeah. he'll do better on the next one. If he's here, it's, by the way, it's 6.39, and he hasn't texted me yet saying he's home. Oh, we better hit fast forward then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so Sting and Flair teamed up to beat Muda and Slater, and after the match, Terry did a run-in, and he put a plastic bag over Flair's head. Fucking tried to suffocate him, dude. Yeah, he's like, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna murder this guy. <laughs> he deserves to die, dude. It doesn't get any more hardcore than that. You yeah. know what I mean? Like to try to actually yeah. suffocate a guy with a plastic bag, like that's like mafia shit. Yeah, like we cry about unprotected chair shots. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with a fucking shopping bag, it's fucking suffocate flare. Yeah, and I don't know. I guess the only reason they didn't get in trouble with the, ne- I can't imagine they wouldn't have gotten in trouble with the network if the owner of the network didn't own the company. You know what I mean? Well, what's funny is like stabbing Dusty in the eye with a spike and drawing blood. Yeah. That was a huge no-no. But putting mm-hmm. a fucking plastic bag over somebody else's head was like, ah, it's fine. Fuck it. Nobody's yeah. nobody's punished. And the eye makes sense because blood is always, blood takes things to another level, right? Like you watch like um, a PG-13 action movie and you don't really see blood. Nobody bleeds. They just get like a, like uh, Marvel movies. Nobody bleeds in those. Or Star Wars. The Stormtroopers don't bleed. Yeah, right. You right. know what I mean? But- so bleeding takes things to another level of violence, but putting a fucking plastic bag over a guy's head and trying to, you know, asphyxiate him. Like that's insane. That's next level. That shit you do to your little brother. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and Just here's Flair doing, doing it or getting it done on TV. And you're like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. <laughs> Come here, little Billy. <laughs> get the shopping bag. So then we get uh, ahead a few years after that. And he's mostly doing Japan at this point between WCW and um well well no because he's in ecw within a couple years but so he kind of gets to where he's doing ecw and japan in 94 he goes to japan uh to iw and and that's where he did the king of the death match tournament and uh (laughs) the main event of it was against cactus he lost and the match was called a no ropes barbed wire exploding barbed wire boards and exploding ring time bomb death match 
<laughs> and my favorite thing about the name of that match is that they still, after all of the other words they put in it, felt they needed death in the match. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's not clear what all of those things would do to a person. Let's yeah, as if death wasn't implied already. Death match. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, do you okay? Just kind of off the record, do you like those matches? Are those entertaining to you? Um, maybe in small doses. Like I'll sit there and watch a match like that. You know, like I could sit down on a Saturday morning and and you know when I'm usually, which is usually when I watch wrestling, and watch a match like that and have fun with it. Do I want to watch a tournament of that? Probably not. Yeah. Um, because yeah. it's not typically it doesn't take long before you've seen everything. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like how many guys can you see bleed, you know, which is to your point earlier. Um, how many share shots can you see? So yeah, yeah, I can, I don't know. Maybe I should try to find this tournament and watch it, but no, typically like that's far from my favorite type of wrestling. I found um, that I enjoyed them more when I was younger, like mm-hmm, in like the nineties, mm-hmm. you know, when I hadn't seen that shit before, it was just like, Oh man, I'm going to watch a ton of these. And I'm about two or three matches in. I'm like, Okay, it's not my thing, not my cup of tea. You know, it, it might be for some people, definitely not for me. I could yeah. totally do without it. Yeah, it doesn't take long for guys to just like blow their load in matches like that. And then you've kind of, you know, <laughs> seen enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so then he goes to ECW and he did this as a favor to Paul. And um, I don't know if he had a relationship with Paul besides WC, uh, WCW. But oh, that would have been really early on too. But they would have been there at the same time. They would have been there at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So he basically did it as a favor to Paul. Like, okay, I'll come up there. Like, I'm a, I'm a legend at this point. At this point, he'd been wrestling 28 years, coming up yeah. around there, and he was a legend. You know, he would be a champion. living legend. Oh, yep. Yeah, he lived living legend. Exactly. Yeah. Not not Zabisco. Not Zabisco. No, Terry Funk was actually a legend. Yeah. So he's like, okay, I'll come up there and I'll help you out. And he became like a full-time guy there. You know, he was doing all the shows. He was doing TV. He was doing house shows, everything. Because that was a pretty busy territory. Yeah. And um, major part of their first pay-per-view. Yeah. He main invented their first pay-per-view. But before that, he and Dory lost a barbed wire match to Public Enemy. Ugh. Terry and Dory Funk lost a match to Public Enemy. Ugh. Yeah. It's disgusting. I don't like it. (laughs) <laughs> well said <laughs> thank you paul yeah um so yeah they had programs with cactus shane douglas Sandman, sabu tommy dreamer everybody and yeah he won the title he was in the main event of barely legal 97 the first pay-per-view so you know they sort of they built the pay-per-view around a handful of guys and one of them was terry funk yeah and terry funk was the kind of guy that you could if you could get some attention on the show because it didn't have the greatest tv coverage at the time, if you can get some attention on it, people would pay attention. Like, oh, Terry, what's Terry Funk up to? I've never yep. seen this wrestling before, but Terry Funk's there, so it must be pretty cool. So I better check it out. That kind of thing. Yep. He just gave legitimacy to it. When if you had followed Terry Funk at all or knew the name of Terry Funk, you knew he was going to be entertaining as hell. So yeah, let's check this out. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so he was champion. He, he only had it for a few months, and he lost it to Sabu in that barbed wire match, which was one of the craziest now that's a match i can watch i also watched that the day he died um listen to the podcast watch that match because that match was fucking nuts so that's the one where sabu ripped his arm open right he ripped his arm open yeah he did a um i don't know what you call it like a leg like a lifting leg thing into the corner you know he was gonna jump into the corner yeah yeah and ter- with his leg and terry moved and he hung up his so he would have hit like his hip and thigh with what would have been the, the turnbuckle and his arm ended up coming down on top of the barbed wire, which would have been the rope. Yeah. And just ripped the shit out of it. He got like 106 stitches or something like that. And yeah. He sent Fonzie to the back to get taped. He taped his arm up in the match. Terry's beating on him while he's taping his arm. <laughs> and he kept going for like 10 more minutes. And yeah. it ended with Terry was wrapped in barbed wire on a table outside. Sabu wrapped barbed wire all around his legs with those MC Hammer pants and <laughs> leg dropped him. Yeah. And they somehow managed to get back in the ring. They were completely tangled. They had to get cut out of it. They were like yeah. mummified. Yeah. Yeah. It, so, and, yeah. Uh, that was insane. My favorite part of that match is you can see Sabu telling Fonzie, get me some tape. And Fonzie goes, I don't have any tape. <laughs> He's like, go fucking find some. I have to tape my <laughs> arm back together, dick. 
yeah, I'm going to die if you don't give me yeah. tape. Quit blowing your fucking whistle and find some tape, asshole. Yeah, he was like that hockey player that got super kicked in England. Oh, dude. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So sad. Um, and then nine, uh, September 11th, 1997, he decided to retire in a match in Amarillo against Bret Hart. And uh, drunk fact, Fritz Von Erich died the day before that show. Man. Yeah, it was a big weekend for wrestling. <laughs> yeah, right. And so that was September 97. By um, December 29th, he was Chainsaw Charlie in WWE. So that it's was probably the shortest. That was a shorter retirement than Aussie's. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's probably shorter than Kisses is going to be. Yeah. He's up there with Brett Favre with as many times he retired and come back. Yeah, um, right. I want to point out, like I mentioned, just fucking loathing Terry Funk during his mm -hmm. first run in the WWF. That guy played both sides of the ball so well mm -hmm. between being a heel and being a face because you got to see the extreme on one side with the yeah. WWF and WCW to the extreme on the other side where he's the sympathetic legend. He played both of those roles so perfectly that it's he's up there. Like if you did a Mount Rushmore of guys that played both sides of the ball, Terry Funk is on that Mount Rushmore for sure. Yeah. Randy Orton's up there as well, mm -hmm. but man, you're hard pressed to find somebody that did it as well as Terry Funk did. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, when he came into WWE, then it's like, oh, we haven't seen him here. You haven't seen him there in eleven years. So people yeah. were, you know, happy to see him back. And yeah, exactly, he's babyface. Yeah, and yeah, he was just great. Everything he did, he couldn't. He was great at everything. You're absolutely right. Like I don't know a better way to say it. Yeah, no, he really was. Like I yeah. said, put him on that Mount Rushmore of guys that were baby and heel and just played both roles perfectly. That was Terry Funk. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't long before he became Chainsaw Charlie. So he went, he went away from TV for a minute, like two weeks. And yeah. suddenly Chainsaw Charlie comes out. And the story I heard was, well, I heard two stories. One was that Kevin Dunn was convinced that nobody's going to know who he was. I remember watching it, and you could tell by the way he walked, it was Terry Funk. As soon as you yeah, saw him, you're like, him, oh, like, that's Terry Funk. <laughs> that's Terry Funk. Even my brother, who didn't watch anywhere near as much wrestling as, as me, he was with me watching it. He's like, that's Terry Funk. <laughs> it was. It could not have been more clear. And Kevin Dunn's stupid ass was like, oh, nobody knows who Terry Funk hardly is in the first place. You uh, know, they're not, they're not going to recognize him under a mask. Dumbass. And the other story I heard was that he wanted to be, <laughs> this is great, he wanted to be Chainsaw Charlie because he was worried they were going to want him to do stupid shit. So he wanted Chainsaw Charlie to do the stupid shit instead of Terry Funk. And <laughs> nice. this goes back to, I don't remember what year it was. You might know if it was 94, 95, when Lawler had the uh, team at Survivor Series with the Knights. Oh, I, I want to say that was 95. Yeah, I think it was 95. I think it was 90, 94 might have been the year he had the midgets. Yeah, I was going to say, because he had a couple years there where it was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was like so, 94. It was one of those two. For sure. Yeah, the Knights worked in mass, right? <laughs> Did they work in mass? Yeah. 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 Terry was going to be one of the nights and oh. I guess the night before he found out, I don't know what the miscommunication was. I don't know if he knew that he was going to be on Lawler's team or if he just thought he was being brought in for a match and wasn't really told what it was, but he found out the night before that he was going to be, that he was going to be on the losing team anyway. And he was fuck this. I'm not going out and losing a stupid ass match like that. <laughs> he left a note on Vince's hotel door that said, sorry, Vince, I've got to go home and take care of my sick horse. <laughs> I Which, love it. that's got to be the funniest way anyone's ever quitted <laughs> except for when i quit my old job and said my band's going on tour in japan so i have to quit that was pretty good too <laughs> i'm but, taking mental note of this when i resign i'm put, i'm gonna go take him, care of my sick horse tell me you're gonna take care of your sick horse yeah i'm using that's a, that that's kind of shit too like two years later vince brought him back and i mean you'd think like you can't even be mad at a guy for that no, that's just, that's fucking Terry Funk, dude. <laughs> it's Terry that's Funk. Yeah. yeah, he's a madman. Yeah. Um, so then he had that last, this was his last big major run in, you know, on a, at a national level. He went to WCW after, but he teamed with Mick Foley. And Mick Foley was one of the hottest stars in the company at this point. And they worked with the New Age Outlaws at WrestleMania 14. They did the dumpster angle a week or two before where the Outlaws put him in a dumpster and pushed yeah. the ramp. And that was so, that raw things. Vince came out there and shit to check on him and Sonny's crying. 
Yeah. And yeah. everything. Where they added you know? an element of realism to it where you're like, oh shit, dude, did this just fucking happen? Yeah. And it was like the first two or three segments of the show, you know, like they couldn't move them right. because they were injured and shit. It was just yeah. so well done. I was like, I totally bought into that. I thought it was completely legit. And they ended up winning the tag titles from them in a dumpster match at 14. Lost them back the next night on Raw. And then he kind of didn't do much after that because I think at that point it was like, let's bring Foley up a notch. You know, he'd been champ. Yeah. Um, you know, um, so it was kind of like, let's bring him up a notch. And or no, he was sorry, he's he was champ later that year. And then he finally got to team up with Flash Funk after that. <laughs> finally. Which yeah, which unfortunately Flash Funk was too young back when they put him with uh, Jimmy Jack Funk in the 80s. <laughs> That'd have been quite the pairing. Yeah, yeah. So a couple months later, he ends up in ECW again, has a short run there. He ends up getting some kind of sickness, and he retired again in 99. And then kind of after that, that's kind of, you know, his career was, I shouldn't even say winding down, because he still worked for like 20 years. Yeah, off and on. You know, off and on. Like, but he's, every day, but. Yeah, but he didn't do anything major. He was in WCW for a while. He was in the old age outlaws with Zabisco, Orndorff, and Arn. Um, he was hardcore champ three times. And I mean, he worked with Flair and Dusty. So like, that's a pretty prominent position in the show. Yeah. But you know, with the NWO at the time, like if you weren't, if you weren't in an angle with the NWO, you were a mid Carter. Yeah, exactly. You were working thunder. Yeah. Or Saturdays. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, he turned down the first one night stand to work the hardcore hum homecoming show. He said he would prefer to work that instead of doing the Vince show, which I thought was kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he stuck to his guns, man. He did things his way for sure. Yeah, he did. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And um, his last match was in 2017. I think it was his last match where he teamed up with the Rock and Roll Express versus Jerry Lawler, Doug Gilbert, and Brian Christopher. So first match, 1950, what was it? 19, sorry, 1965. Yeah. Last match was 2017. That's fucking 60 years, 62 years. Dude. The dude wrestled. I don't know if anyone's had a run like that. I think if Lawler hadn't had a stroke... He might have done that, but I don't think Lawler, because Lawler was still wrestling until then, but I don't think Lawler started that early on. He didn't start 65. I, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, I guess I Gypsy so. Joe probably has the record because he wrestled like 95 years. Yeah, yeah. But not on the level Terry did. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. know? And dude, I can't imagine being that age and taking bumps. Like, we've mm -hmm. talked about it before at our age. We get out of bed and we're like aches and pains and limping to the bathroom and fucking here's Terry Funk taking bumps and shit and just being a madman out there and you got to respect that man. He just had that passion for the business and yeah. And yeah. And he could always, and always draw. He could always get people, even like the indie shows he was doing later on, yep. you know, like they'd have a couple thousand people at the show. They'd some dude would rent out like the fucking veterans hall or whatever. And they'd have a couple thousand people who show up to see Terry Funk, you know, exactly. A, yeah. For uh for indie that would normally draw 500 if they were lucky. Yep. And Terry Funk could still draw fans. Yeah. Uh, so just kind of wrap him up. Um, he also was in several movies. He was in Paradise Alley. He was in The Ringer, uh, starring the great Johnny Knoxville. <laughs> um, and he was in Over the Top, which was a really cool fucking Stallone movie. Um, yeah. and he choreographed the fight um, of, uh, Rocky Five. Oh, he did. Yeah, he choreographed that fight. Yeah, because he and Stallone were kind of buddies. So, um, so Stallone was like, "Hey, Terry, can you choreograph a fight for me?" So he choreographed that fight. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah, and Stallone was this legendary story where it was when Terry was at, it was in a movie set. I believe it was Terry was there, and some stuntmen were kind of goofing on him. You know, like, "Oh, he's a fake wrestler, or whatever." They're dumb. And Stallone heard him and came and was like, "Dude, you know what? You go out there, try and do this shit with an audience 360 degrees around you with one fucking take." And see yep. how fucking good you are at it, you know? Yep. Because Stallone got wrestling and respected wrestling and was a fan, so he knew what was going on, you know? Yep. Um, so, yeah. Even Stallone was a fan of Terry Funk. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Was Terry Funk in No Holds Barred? Not as far as I can remember. Hmm. Okay. I think he was in I Like to Hurt People. Okay. And he was in Beyond the Mat. Uh, well, I just so happen to have his... Uh, filmography up okay and you are correct he was not in no holds barred i was confusing that for another movie he was in paradise alley over the top time stalkers roadhouse oh yeah roadhouse mom can i keep her active stealth beyond the mat friday night lights as a fan and as you mentioned the ringer 
Was he in Game of Thrones? Oh, no, that's you. I'm thinking of you. Yeah, that's not in Terry's IMDb, but it You're is in mine. <laughs> it's on your IMDb. It's it's on mine. And if anyone doesn't believe me, go on IMDb and look up Scott Toon. <laughs> <laughs> um, w- w- interesting thing about him, he married his wife in 1965, and they were together until he died, which has to be a record for, res- for a wrestling marriage. You know what I mean? Like every wrestler gets divorced at some point. I mean, yeah. I, I shouldn't say all of them. I know Jericho's been with his wife forever. Storm has, but I think uh, Harley was with his wife for yes for a Harley. lot of years too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Blassie had so many wives that he forgot one of their names. <laughs> it happens, which is my favorite thing about Fred Blassie. You couldn't remember his ex-wife's <laughs> name. It didn't even research it for his book. He just wrote that I can't remember her name. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he was sort of the last I sort of look at him as like the last of the old school NWA guys like he's um, two generations ahead of Flair maybe maybe one generation ahead of Flair yeah and he was when he you know so Flair came up in the era of where there was national TV starting to happen Terry was there I mean there had been national TV in the 50s but um Terry was that territory guy where they didn't know who right. you were, what you were doing in this territory. And sort of everything changed around the early 80s. I, I always think of the NWA getting to that last chapter when Flair won his first title. Or when it were was it his first title that he won against Harley in the cage? Yeah. Starting yeah, yeah. That to me was sort of like that last phase of the of the original NWA. Right. And uh Terry right. was a generation or two before that, but he was that old school guy where, like I said, he never stayed anywhere long. He worked every fucking where. He worked with everybody. Um, and yeah, he was fucking awesome. He was. And he was. he's missed. And last thing before we wrap this up, because I just got a text from Adam. He just got home. And um, he, I'm not going to take a shower. And then he's got to take a shower, wash hair. No, he said, he said he's setting up. Actually, the text was about 10 minutes ago. Um, I still say eating for the podcast. <laughs> he's gonna you know he's gonna have food. He's gonna get into the he's gonna pop up in the stream yard with wings. A cheese steak, um, maybe. <laughs> I'm not gonna list all the titles you want because there's too many. That's just some highlight. Open, dude, it's a fucking lot. It's huge. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. But just to hit the highlights, he was NWA champ, ECW champ, Florida heavyweight champ, and Juggo heavyweight champion. Mm. And Glad that's you got that got last to- one in there. Super important. Well, yeah. I mean, he's champion of the Juggalos. That's that's huge. That's huge. You know? He loved Fago soda. He loved Fago. Yeah, and you know how Juggalos are, dude. You get up there and you don't perform. You're getting fucking balloons filled with piss thrown at you like Teal and Tequila. <laughs> so, you know. Sounds like a good time. Yeah, exactly. I would like to put piss on Teal and Tequila, but not with a balloon. <laughs> anyway, uh, I guess we'll wrap this one up, and uh, I'm going to grab another beer and Get ready for the next episode. And that's kind of it for Terry Funk. And um, hit us up if you have anything to say, any good memories about him, whatever. And I don't know how to close out an episode the way Adam does. Uh, I think he hits up our social medias, which is oh. uh, at wrestling underscore drunk on the X. Yeah, uh, it's still Twitter to me, damn it. Um, uh, oh, shirts. Whatamaneuver.net. Buy a fucking shirt. Oh, yeah. B- buy a fucking shirt. Uh, follow us on uh t- Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and threads at wrestling underscore drunk. And uh, check us out on um, Rampage and Collision last week, which would be like <laughs> three weeks ago when you're listening you, to this. You guys are big fucking stars now. We're big now stars. Now you have an too. IMDB page. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that one guy in the crowd. <laughs> and uh, that for our episode. And one, two, three. We love you, Terry. All right, me, Terry.